So Luke, Luke chapter, we're on chapter 11, and it's session 11 in, our, uh, in the way that I've divided it. And um, what we've come to by chapter 11 is that Luke, as with all the other gospel writers, uh, wants us to understand that believers are not only disciples, they are also children of God. Strange that Vanessa would have had that conversation um, with her, one of her um, ladies that... Um, and I think that, that the understanding of being a disciple and being a child are kind of a little bit difficult for us to put together sometimes. If I say to you that we're all disciples of Jesus, that brings up in me at least kind of, oh, I've got to do these things. It's almost like this is my rule book. This is how to be a disciple. But if I think about being a child of God, then all the rules go out the window if he's a loving father and I can run to him at any moment. So holding the two together is... Um, sometimes a bit difficult. And I think um, that one of the understandings Jesus is telling us in Luke is that you can't be a disciple unless you're a child. You can't be a disciple unless you understand that your basic bottom line foundational uh, position in Christ is that you are a child of God, a child of your heavenly father. So the discipling happens only because a loving heavenly father, a loving father, disciples his child, disciplines his child. You know, the word disciple comes from discipline. So it's, it's this idea that because God loves you as he loves Jesus, as he loves his children, he wants you to live a dis disciplined life because he knows that the discipline is the best thing for you and it will reap massive blessing in your life. You know how you are with your own children. You know, when they're one and two years old and they're running around putting their fingers in sockets and all of that sort of thing, you don't let them do that because you, you, you know that'll kill them. You don't let them take drugs. You don't let them watch rubbish on the TV. You don't let them drink alcohol. You don't let them smoke. You don't let them do all those things because you know that that will hurt them. And it's the same with God. All the things that he wants us to do. So. Reading your Bible, praying, uh, getting together corporately. Uh, why does he do that? Because he knows that's the very best way for you to live. If you can get that understanding, I think it becomes much easier then to do the things that God wants you to do. Um, yeah, so I think Luke, in this section that we're in, I don't want to say too much about the segments and the sections because I've asked a few questions on the homework for next time. You know... The section we're in is the section where this is really being pumped home by every parable, every story, every account of Jesus' conversations is about this idea that children of God live disciplined lives. They live as disciples. Um, Maureen and I have had a conversation about... Um, you know, I, I was talking to her about the fact that it's difficult sometimes for me to understand why some people don't have a fire in their hearts for the Lord. It's difficult. Believers, I mean, why are they not on fire for the Lord? I just don't, I don't understand that. And sometimes I can think that, uh, does that mean they're not really saved? You know, and my mind can go down that road that they're just not on, they're just, I know that they, and they will say quite openly that they're not on fire and they don't want to be on fire and, and, and I find that whole thing difficult until I start to remember that we're all children. That we're all children. Those who have put their trust in Jesus are children. 
And some children just grow up quicker than others. Yeah. And some children are older than others. And, you know, some kids, they take a long time to become mature adults. You might have one of those in your own family, I don't know. So, um, yeah, so all of that bit being said, understanding this idea about disciples and children um, helps us, I think, to, to be a part of the process that we're in. You and I, every believer still on the planet, is in part of their uh, salvation experience. And I've almost said the word, so what, what are we in, involved in at the moment? Just to do with our own salvation experience, what part of that are we involved in? Oh, sorry, I thought I'd give you... <laughs> You're being sanctified. You are a part of the sanctification process, right? So it's like a child, really. You say to the child, if you don't eat your, your Brussels sprouts or if you don't eat your cabbage or if you don't eat your greens, you're not going to grow strong. And they don't like the Brussels sprouts. Who does? You know, they, well, I do now, but I didn't then. So, yeah. So, you know, but you say to them, you know, eat these vegetables. They're good for you. They're good for you. And slowly over time, they start to understand. Actually, yeah, I don't mind vegetables. They start to like them. They start to eat them. If they never eat a vegetable, they will not grow properly. It will affect their growth. Yes. It's the same about Christianity. Mm. If you don't do the stuff, it'll affect your growth. Mm. If you don't read your Bible, if you don't ask the Lord to lead and direct your life, if you don't pray, if you don't pray together, if you don't do these things, you will be severely malnourished. Yeah. That's the reality. And it's not that you won't get into heaven or, or you know, Jesus is going to tell you your, your... It's just that you won't live a healthy life. In Christ. And who do you know? Who wants to live a malnourished life? So, yeah, so that's it. So the questions then that come from all of that idea is, okay, how do I actually do the things that Jesus is asking us to do? How do I live as a true follower of Jesus? If I really believe that doing that will help me to grow, not just that I'll be able to witness to him, but that actually it will help me as well in that process and that I'm to be involved in that process, that sanctification process. How will I live? And also, the, the big thing in it is you're supposed to be a disciple, but remember you're a child. So what does that tell you? Dependence. So how do I do the stuff that I have to do at the same time as understanding it's not about me, it's about him? It's about him doing what he's promised to do. How do I live as a true follower of Jesus if I am not to grow by self-effort? Because all of the things we've been looking at in this section of Luke is telling us we don't grow by working hard to do it. Trust. Yeah, it is. But how does that play itself out in our everyday life? You know, you have to get out of bed in the morning, right? You could say, well, I, I, until you tell me to get out of bed, Lord, I'm going to stay here. And he may not tell you that day, get out of bed. So what are you going to do? Yeah, but it's, it's what is the Christian way and how to do that and, and how to let him do the living. That's the key, how to let Jesus do the living, even though you're doing it as well. So, um, so... Jesus has already given us the broad answer. What's he given us in, in the Gospel of Luke so far? What would you say about Jesus living as a man? What, what epitomizes his life? Jesus. Yeah. 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 
So prayer discipline, where does that come from? Yeah, it's relationship. It's his understanding of his relationship, his place in that relationship with the Father. And what was Jesus' place in the relationship with, with God? He was, he was dependent. Not just because he was a man, he was also the Son of God, but he was totally dependent. But how did he become totally dependent on God? Yeah, no, because he was already God. So yes, he did. But how? What? What happened to make him totally dependent on God? By coming as a human being. No. Yes. Yes, and no. But what? What's the transaction that happened between Jesus and God? I mean, Jesus is God. He is God. At some point before he came here, he was God, Most High. So yes, agreement. But but what else? Yeah, obedience, but it says in the scripture he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. So yes and no, but so what's the big underlining thing then? How did he become dependent or how was he dependent? It was submission. He submitted to the will of his father. He didn't have to do that. He was God. He was the God man. He could have done anything he wanted, but he submitted to the will of the father. Now, this is a huge thing because that's the basic bottom line uh, foundation of his relationship with God. He lived a submitted, surrendered life. And that's what God calls us to do, to live a submitted, surrendered life. And you will only do that if you believe, A, that God wants you to do that, B, that it's better for you, and C, that that is the way of a disciple, a surrendered submitted life Jesus came as a man he came to die and to pay our price and, but he was if you like part of the sanctification process that we're undergoing now because his submission is transferred to us the ability to submit and to live as a child is he's willing to give that to us if we will only submit our will to his Right. And I just think, where am I going wrong? Because there's no change <laughs> in me. And I, I, I don't know, I expect the thunderbolts or things to be different. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do because I'm praying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to our Father, use me as you will to mm-hmm. do your will, mm-hmm. not mine. Mm-hmm. Why do you think he's not? I don't know. I'm, I think I'm expecting yeah. things to happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm just yeah. impatient. So. Yeah. We're all like that, Julia. Yeah, we all, right. you know, we all want the blimp in the sky. And I'm using you for my glory. You know, <laughs> Juliet, you're going to be this and that and amazing. And he doesn't do that. But you wanting his will is his will. That's his will. That you really want his will. Only, we only know individually. Do I really want it or is that just what I say? No one, only you and I can know that about ourselves. And so, but that is what pleases God. Wanting to please him pleases him. Because wanting to please him will mean you'll go along with his work in you. And that sometimes seems painfully slow. But other times it's like, oh, has that all happened? You know. So, um, so Jesus surrendered and lived in total dependence. That's what Paul writes in Philippians, isn't it? that even though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself 
and took on the appearance of a manny and then humbled himself even to the point of death. That's what we're talking about. He had equality with God. See, so when the church talks about the fact that some parts of the church talk about the fact that we are little Christ or we're little gods or we're, and we can do everything that Jesus did, that's an exaltation of us in, instead of a, a, hu, a humiliation, if you like. So it's, it's the opposite of what is required for sanctification. So, um, yeah. So Luke chapter 11 then uh, begins actually with Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. Now, I know we're all very familiar with this. So, but think about the, um, the prayer and what he says to them in relation to the transformation work, which is, the, I think, the theme of Luke's gospel, is transformation. Those who come to God in, in truth and believe in Jesus are transformed by that relationship. So think about that in, in the way that he then teaches his disciples to pray. Could somebody read the first four verses of Luke 11, please? Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Thank you. Now, think about what we've just talked about. Think about what I've been talking about uh, over and over this last 10 minutes or so about this submission and surrender and uh, this uh, sanctification process that we're involved in, that Jesus promises or God promises he has given us the way to be transformed already. We have it in Christ. So think about this prayer then. When, the, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, what's the first thing he wants to let them know? They're his children. They're his children. They come to him as father, not as... Not as employer. See, we come to God very often as if we have to do something for him because it's our job. It's our role. And I've taught that. I've said, you know, we have a purpose on earth. I haven't taught that you have to do that like that, but I've said we have a purpose. We're here to proclaim Christ. Mm. That's our role. That's our job. We're to witness, to make disciples. So it is almost like a job. That's what we're to do. But if we come to, to God on the basis of our job, we start to think if we're not doing our job, he's not going to answer our prayer or even that we can't come to him. If I'm not fulfilling what I think I should be doing, why would God listen to me? See, Jesus turns that upside down. You come to him as father, and a father, a loving heavenly father, the perfect father, what is he ev how is he always going to relate to his children? In love. He is never going to turn them away. So there is no request that you can make that means God wouldn't let you into his presence to make it. So they come as father, not employer. What's the second thing? Well, what does he say? He says, uh, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your kingdom, your kingdom come. So what is that idea? When you're coming to God and you're saying that, he's king, yeah. Yeah. 
Why are you saying that? Hallowed be your name. You want his kingdom to come. You want, yeah, you want his kingdom to come on earth. But even before that, Rosemary, you're saying hallowed be your name. Honoured, respected be your name. Right. So when you come to him in prayer, you're not coming to pay him back for anything or to get anything, actually. You will do as you go on through the, the prayer. But it's just, I want your name honoured. Why would you want his name honoured? There, because he's wonderful, because he's wonderful, he's, he's fantastic, because he's father, because I believe he loves me when I know I don't deserve it. I know that his love is unfailing, that he will never leave me, that he has promised so much good to me. <coughs> so I want everybody, I want that name to be known for who he is. I want it glorified. So now I'm coming to him as a loving father. I'm not coming as if he's my boss or my employer. And because I'm coming to him as my father, I want his name honoured because he's wonderful and majestic and beautiful and glorious and all of those things. And then what's the next thing in the prayer? Yeah, that's so I'm coming to honor him, not to repay him for what he's already done, but just because he's worthy of the honor. And then the next thing is, what does it what does it say? It says, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, what's intrinsic in that in that statement? He's the provider. He's the provider. And what, what are you doing actually? You're asking him to do what you need to give you what you need now the thing is where we are at the moment in the church and and ha- and i think it's easy to flip onto that is we know the promises of god if you do bible study you know the promises of god you know that he's promised to do all things for you you know that he's promised to give you all things you know so we have a tendency to come in and say i claim the promise I claim the promise as if that is honouring God or in some way an an, uh, outpouring of our faith. I know that God has promised, therefore if I claim that promise, I am actually um, declaring that I believe his promise. That's not wrong, but you you and I can't claim anything from God. Nothing. Nothing. If he wanted to leave us in a corner and do nothing, he would be perfectly justified. There is nothing in us that deserves who he is. So to come and say, even to claim his promise, is in a way an exaltation of who we are. Now, I'm not saying that everybody who does it is doing that deliberately, but I am saying our attitude with God the Father is total and utter dependence if you don't give me this bread i cannot live yesterday when i left my house there was a rainbow and i immediately thanked our lord for it and said to him what his promise Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. was that wrong for me to do that no it's not wrong and your heart is the is the your understanding from your heart is the most important thing the words are less important but when we come together and we say we claim this and we claim that in Jesus' name and we, and we claim it, it's almost as if like, well, that's mine. I'm taking that. And it's not ours. It's 
it's God's. And, and, it's, and, and the thing is, imagine you, you as a child. Children don't know what's theirs. They, they live in the household and their parents put the food in front of them and their parents do whatever they do, but they don't claim it as their own. Your inheritance that you know is coming won't be fully yours until you go to be with him. So that is an inheritance that is yours and you are drawing down on some of the blessings of it, but only at the discretion and the pleasure of God. I'm watching um, West Wing again. I love that series. I don't know if you've ever watched it. It's ages old, 2000. It came out in 1999 and 2000. It's an American series, and not everything in it is wonderful, but there's no sex or violence or swearing, and so I, you know, I can watch it. <laughs> and, and I love it because it, I love the idea of men of integrity, men and women of integrity, running the country and that's what's portrayed they don't do everything right and it's not how i might do things and and it's not christian but it's that's what i love but the thing is they all say whenever anything is asked of them by the president whenever he asks them to do anything or whenever they do anything i serve at the pleasure of the president and what that means is whatever you ask me to do i'll do Wherever you want me to go, I'll go, even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't match what I perceive to be something I rightfully deserve or should have to do this. I serve at the pleasure of the president. And I think about that with God, you know. I serve at the pleasure of God. Is it? Yeah. There you go. Go ahead, Maureen. Yeah. Playing, which is the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah. I lack nothing. Yeah. But what He provides us with will vary depending yeah. on what He thinks is right. Yeah. But we can all say with certainty, yeah. I lack no good thing. Yeah. Because He will want to yeah. provide yeah. everything. Yeah. But as I say, in His way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It could be, you know, the yeah. smallest thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 perhaps the word claim that I think has a different connotation in our language. It's not that your heart is doing, your, your heart is understanding exactly. But I hear people say, I claim this street in the name of Jesus. I claim this, this in the name of Jesus. I claim this in the name of Jesus. But that's like, that's, I'm taking this because that's, yeah, it's a demand and it's not a request. And everything in our relationship with God is, he gives, I receive. I receive. And when I'm coming to him to ask him, you know, he's not, Jesus is not saying, ask him for a, a roof over your head. or He says, oh, you know, give us this day our daily bread. What does that mean? Lord, please, if you don't give us what we need, we're dead. We're dead. But it's not that we know what we need. It's not even that I'm taking, I'm claiming what you've already said you're going to give me. It's that I'm still coming to ask you. I know you've promised to do this. I'm coming on the basis of that promise, but please will you do it? I mean, there's so many examples of it in Scripture. Daniel, when he played in Daniel chapter 9, he knew, he just read Jeremiah, that they were 70 years in captivity. He knew the promise that they would be back after 70 years, but still he prayed, Lord, please, please, would you let us go home? Because he took nothing for granted. And that's, I think, somewhere we get a little bit lost in the claiming. Mm. Yes, I don't want to 
No, go on. Because God is our provider, and I, I know that. I've seen it in my life. Um, but a, a sort of objection that you do get from people is, well, people are suffering, people yeah. are dying. And there are many Christians yeah. who are going hungry and yeah. suffering and being persecuted and tortured. Yeah. Um, and it comes to the point, like three guys that are thrown into the fire, even if we perish, yeah. we will not bow the yeah. to a foreign God. Yeah, exactly. That, I mean, faith will take you that far. Yeah. It takes some people that far. Yeah, it does. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, give us this day our daily bread. I don't know whether Jesus meant that literally for those disciples or not, but he definitely meant it spiritually. Okay, what is the, the, the bread of life for me? Because that's what I need. You know, yeah. And each of us will have different needs physically. Um, and... You're right. I mean, God's answer to those needs under persecution is not always what we want them to be. But the spiritual food that I need, I think, is what we are praying for here. I think it's this, you know, give me the ability to live for you. Give me, you know, Lord, help me to love you. Help me to stand for you. Help me to, because without you, I cannot do it. I, I cannot do it. Without you, I don't have the strength. Without the bread you give, I won't be able to do it. So I'm not saying that it isn't physical. Sometimes I think it is. But yeah, but I would say that this is a spiritual request. Um, so give us this day um, our daily bread. We're not going to him because we deserve it. We're not going to him even because he's promised it, although he has. But you belong to him because you have believed his promises You've believed that every promise of God is yea and amen in Christ Jesus. That in Christ Jesus, everything is fulfilled. And that you are in him and he is in you. So actually, you've already laid hold of the promise. Do you know what I mean? So, it's, uh, so now you're just saying, Lord, you know, if you don't do all of this, um, nothing. Um, Exactly. It's like, thank you that, that I know that you will do this. And, um, yeah. And again, I'm not trying to do anyone down who uses that phrase. People use it a lot. I claim this and I claim that. It's not necessarily wrong. It's just I think the understanding of the word claim is sometimes a little bit skewed. And it obscures this relationship of child with Heavenly Father. Yes. Yes, I know, exactly. And um, that's scriptural. It is scriptural, yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And that's why Paul says in um, Philippians 3, he says, not that I've already attained it, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already laid hold of me. So it's, it's this, I'm just pressing on to be more and more into and to, to, to live in that thing that Christ has already done for me. Um, but yeah, thank you. It's the gospel, the prosperity gospel was based on Yeah. 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 And that's why you know it's wrong. Yeah. 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 It really is a different. If we were just giving a loaf and said, here you are, yeah. we probably wouldn't be as thankful no. as they are. So, mm. It is. Okay, and so, uh, what is the next thing? And forgive us our sins. 
for we ourselves also uh, forgive everyone uh, and who is indebted to us. So what's the understanding here in this prayer? Let's just say that this is, uh, this is the outline of a prayer that describes your relationship with God. You're my father. You are brilliant beyond description. I want your name honoured. Give me what I need, Lord, because I, 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 I am totally dependent on you. And then uh, forgive us our sins. So what's, what are you saying when you say that to the Lord? He's a forgiving God, but also, Jesus died yes, we need to acknowledge our I sins. need constant mm. forgiveness, yeah. constant forgiveness. Whilst I live in this human body, I need constant forgiveness. My motives are very seldom, if ever, pure. My thinking is very seldom, if ever, totally spiritual. My my heart can take me down roads that I never thought I would go. I need constant forgiveness. It's not necessarily that you're doing sins, i.e. individual acts of sin. It's that you still inhabit a human body and your nature is at war with the spirit within you. That is a battle that is always going on. And we're involved in that battle. And sometimes we don't want to fight as hard as others. That's just the reality of who we are. And so this constant understanding that, you know, David prayed, didn't he? David prayed, acquit me of hidden sins because he didn't even know the sins that he might be committing. And, and that's the understanding. It's, it's not necessary that I think that you, you kind of un- know what they are or that you list them all out. I don't think it's that. It's this, just this total understanding that I need your forgiveness in, in the same way as I need your grace need your mercy and I need your forgiveness constantly in order to even be a part of your family and it's it's just this understanding of dependence total dependence on our father um is that sorry Alice, mm. coming to my head is that how people like Abraham and Moses walk with him mm. because they have that total dependence exactly but yeah surely they must have been beset as well of course of course. Actually, you read through Genesis to find me one perfect person. There is no perfect person throughout the Bible apart from Christ. He is the only one. Everybody in Scripture is flawed. <laughs> Massively, actually. Flawed. What is the reason for that? Daniel was okay. Yeah, I suppose he was okay. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Yeah, he was. But the thing is, what's the reason for that? Why are we shown all these people who are flawed? Because that's humanity, it's humanity. And so it's this constant need to come before the Lord and understand, I need, I need forgiveness all the time. Um, even if it's not for a... It's just, but, and, and the thing is, it's not a terrible thing because, it's, you're, because you know you need forgiveness all the time. You only know that because you've come to the forgiving God. It, it's, it's not that it's a fearful thing. It's that, oh Lord... <laughs> Thank you for your forgiveness. You know, search me, show me what you want me to be rid of. All of those things that you might get into. Um, yeah, and, and it, it removes the pride that we so often have in how well we're doing. You know, I mean, I've read my Bible every day this year, Lord, and I've prayed, and I know we don't say those things, but that starts to build up in our mind. 
I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm much better this year than I was last year. And <laughs> 10 years ago, well, I wasn't even on the same page as I am now. And it's this kind of, you know, yes. And it's not always as blatant as that, but pride's a, a difficult thing and it wheedles its way in, you know. And it has all sorts of shapes and forms and the enemy uses it to bring it into, you know. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. It, I don't think Jesus was bothered about Satan. We've got more of course, in Christ. Christ has defeated Satan. Satan is a created angel being. So, and, and Jesus is the creator. So he is as far above Satan and all angels as, and demons as anyone could be. And we're in him, spiritually. So yes, we have at, at, we have at or he has at his disposal all the power of the universe. He can go like that and everything disappears. Not even that, that's too slow. He, he can do that and everything is gone. He, he's not afraid of Satan. Satan is already vanquished. He was never afraid of Satan. He is only at work to bring his people to the place where we understand in and of ourselves, I have no power over Satan. I, if, if I have absolutely no power over Satan, but he has all power and all authority. And while I'm in him, that's the place I've got to be. And that gratitude that comes from that. We have a long version of the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. It's because of the Victorian. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Helen. Is that true? Oh. Well, Matthew is um, is the longer version. Luke's is a short version of the Lord's Prayer. Matthew uh, gives us more sentences, uh, more detail. So one last thing, because I'm sorry, we're go I'm going so slowly, but... Um, and what's the last thing? And lead us not into temptation. Um, what's, what's the understanding behind that? Because people get really strung up on that. you know. Because the truth is, God does not tempt anybody. It, James, it, 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 the word can be translated trials or tests uh, or temptations. But even whatever way you, whatever way you translate the word, God does not tempt so lead us not into temptation. What does that mean? You know, because... Well, what is it when you're saying it? When you're saying, Lord, don't, don't lead me into tests or trials or, or temptation, whatever is it, what is it that you're saying? Aren't you just saying, oh, God, deliver me, deliver me. Do what is necessary to take me out of those tests or trials or temptations. You're not making a doctrine. You're not writing a theological statement. You're praying to your father as a child, Lord, I won't get through if you don't deliver me. So it's, it's this understanding of that he's the deliverer. He's the one who's going to be, he's going to pass the test. He's going to face the temptation and not sin. He's going to do that. So, Lord, can you do that for me? Can you deliver me? <coughs> yeah. Do you think this is in any way linked? Well, no, I, I just dis thought of the fact that Satan, a God of Jesus, was led into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Jesus was led by 
Exactly, and I think that's why this <coughs> is translated that way, yes. yeah. He, he actually experienced being yes. Yes. Um, yes. But actually, we're not. Yes. Because he's he, conquered Yes. But, um, yes. I don't know. I think it's linked, and I definitely think that's why they've translated the word temptation, because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. But actually he wasn't led into temptation. It was actually the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. There's a big difference. There is. I know it's kind of semantics. But 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 God does not tempt us to sin. He doesn't. So Jesus was led into a wilderness where Satan tempted him. No, that's it. It isn't, but that's not the. It, that's the. Um, that's a lie, actually. What you've just said. People say God will not give us anything beyond that we can bear. He won't give us anything worse than we can handle. But my answer to that is, there is nothing we can handle. So anything that we face in this life, temptation, test, trial, is all too much for us. But his promise is, my grace is sufficient for you. So that verse is actually, for God causes all things to work together. Oh, no, sorry. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, no temptation or test or trial has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. And when you are tempted, tested or tried, he will always provide a way of escape so that you might endure it. The promise is the way of escape. And what's the way of escape? Because it's not outside of the trial, because it's the way of escape so you can endure the trial. So you're still in the trial. So what's the way of escape? It's trusting Christ. It's the trust that Christ has done this. He's tempted in all things, as I am, yet without sin. He suffered everything that I could ever suffer. He went through every test and every trial and every temptation so that he would give you... His power to endure what you might have to face. Because otherwise, you know, we, we build up this lovely picture of ourselves that, you know, we're getting stronger. Oh, we're getting stronger all the time. And you lot, I mean, you're really needy, but wow, I am so strong. Actually, all of that's untrue. We will be a child of God the day we die. Analogy of a child, and when I just wrote, I wrote this down and lead us not into temptation. I suddenly realised when a child is scared, what does it do? It puts its hand exactly. up. Exactly. Pick me up, please. Exactly. Because they know that's it. That's it. Exactly. That's a great picture. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that's a great picture. And it's that idea. But it's the idea that only you can save me. Yeah. Only you yeah. can get me through this temptation. Only you can deliver me from evil. Only you can do this. I'm not strong enough. Children are not strong enough. No. They're not. Mm. They're not even strong enough when they band together. Totally of course, because they don't have the wherewithal. So the understanding of it is just incredible, really, when, it, when you see what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to do. Because these people are going to change the world. I mean, make no mistake, they're going to change the world. They're going to take this gospel and go out 
after his resurrection and go out and spread the gospel. They're going to undergo torture and difficulty and stress and trial and they are going to press on, press on, press on. But the way that they're going to be able to do that is to understand that everything they need must come from God because they don't have it in and of themselves. Even with the Holy Spirit, even though you have the Holy Spirit, it's his power working through you. What is it? Zechariah says, not, is it Zechariah? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Yeah, go ahead, Helen. Oh. Right. Yeah. Till, yeah. <laughs> to, to dob on him or dob him in, as my husband would say. <laughs> Don't worry. It's grace, it's all grace. Yeah. Yeah. You might have paved it when you got to the Okay, so I just, let's, because we're going to take a break, and I'm sorry, because we're probably going to go a bit later today, so I'm really sorry, but um, the thing is, when you cry for deliverance and help, what you're actually also doing is you're not promising to try harder. I'll try harder, Lord. I'll try harder. You're understanding you can't. I can't try harder. I mean, I'm just, I know, I'm done for. I haven't got the strength. You have to deliver me. Hmm? Surely if you're crying, you're calling out to God because you need him. Yeah, that's what I mean. But it is included in that is this understanding. Instead of you coming to God and saying, thanks, thanks for doing that. Next time, I'm going to be so much stronger next time. I'm never going to do that again. Yeah. I'm really never going to do that again. Yeah. You know, it's like me with smoking. You know, I stand next to someone smoking. I could pick up a cigarette right like that because I, the smell is so wonderful. Not the stale smell in the room, I don't like that, but the smell of a cigarette, wow, it's just, it hits a spot in me and I love it. And if you pour a glass of champagne in front of me, there'll be an instant when I'll think, oh, that's, that's, just, that's just really good. I could just, I could just, I mean, I've been 10 years without a drink, I could just have a sip. And then it's instantly, Lord, no, I can't, you have to do this. And instantly it's gone. So it's, it's, it's the understanding that I can't try harder. I can't. I can't be better. I can't conjure up all this real strong, good stuff spiritually. I just can't do it. So, Lord, you have to do it. And the wonderful thing is that he's promised he will. But it's still me asking him. It's still me asking him. It's never me saying, it's, you should be doing this for me. This is what you promised. Um, so uh, when you think back to Martha and the uh, young man who in the chapter before talked to Jesus um, the ideas of Mar- in Martha's head are based on that deception that we can do something for God and that, and that we deserve something from him and even though you wouldn't necessarily put it in those words when we come to God claiming this and that it's almost like this is mine. You should be giving this to me. Yes, it's based on his promises. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying everyone who uses the word is, is using it in that way. But 
the understanding is I don't deserve anything. Even though he's made a million promises and even though all of them are true, if he chooses not to do them for me, he would be totally and utterly justified. Without him, I would never, ever, ever be able to get to him. That's the understanding. So, um, so Father, thank you that, um, thank you that uh, we all love each other here and, and that there is um, the ability to forgive within us because your Holy Spirit lives within us. Thank you, Lord, for... Well, I just thank you for taking us on. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Thank you that we are your children. Thank you that we've been born again by the word of God. And it's a, just a wonderful thing, Lord. So we praise you and thank you for what you've already shown us this morning and what you will show us now as we go on in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I just wanted to say really that um, it suddenly it's in the word about how important this relationship uh, is, you know, we say our father flippantly yes. almost because it's by rope. Yeah. Um, but how vital it is exactly. because anything else can only come out of that relationship. Exactly. Yes. And it thing. says in the word that our, you know, our work, uh, uh, nothing in exactly. comparison exactly. to that relationship. Yeah, thank you, Lauren. Exactly. That's exactly it. Everything we are and everything we do comes out of the relationship. And our as our understanding of it grows, then we are able then to, you know, live with the Lord, which is yeah. what we all want to do. Yeah. So um, Luke's going to go on now in the next verses to um, amplify each part of the prayer. And we won't spend too much time on it because actually when we did the course on prayer before this, we talked about some of these uh, examples. First, so if somebody could read verse 5 to verse 10 of chapter 11. <laughs> And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I can't, cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impertinence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Thank you. Uh, I think we did this one, actually, we this and another one, about the same thing. It's about persistence. Rosemary's um, translation has translated the word persistence as impertinence, which for us has a slightly different understanding. Uh, the word is persistence, and actually the original Greek or uh, Aramaic word here means boldlessness or shamelessness. So because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him something. But the idea of that boldness and shameless is what Jesus is getting at. That, that he's contrasting God with this friend, the neighbour who lives next door. The neighbour, if you keep on keeping on at him, he'll eventually get up and give you what you want because of your shameless boldness in yes. knocking on his door all the time. Yes. But God's not like that. 
But nonetheless, you're coming shamelessly and boldly because you believe he's going to give you. You have no shame in Christ. You are bold in Christ. Yeah. You are not afraid to come to your heavenly your father because you know who he is and that you're his child and that he knows without, he knows that for us, without him, we can't get anything or do anything. So the idea, again, is is a contrast between the, the, the neighbor and God and what he finishes with. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you're going to find Knock and the door will be opened. These are promises of, of absolute assurance that God is never going to turn you away. He's always opening the door. He's always giving. He's always being found. Um, and yeah, so, um, you know, don't be afraid. You can you can depend on him, as any child would depend on a loving father. It might be a story we just judge. Yes, it's exactly that story. It's a contrast. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, uh, verse eleven to verse thirteen. Can somebody read those verses, please. No. <laughs> In unison. Sorry, where are we going? 11, 11, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Thank you. Okay. So, now you've just had the contrast of the neighbour and the uh, and God, and he started to build up this idea that if you ask, you'll get, and if you seek, you'll find, if you not, because God's not like your, the neighbour. But now he's going to take that even further with this, and he's, what's he doing now? What, what does he start to bring in? Yeah, but what's the last verse? Holy the last Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit, but also what's... How much more? How much more? There's this idea and understanding that God is eager to give you what you need. And what you need is the Holy Spirit. So he's eager to give you these things. So it's not just that you're coming boldly and shamelessly because you know he, he's, he's your father. It's that your father is eager to give you them. So just as you're running in and you want to jump on his lap and ask him for what you need, he's standing up and running to you because he wants to give you what you need. So it's this whole picture being painted of a situation that is, is so wonderful. You know, the prodigal son thing, it's not exactly the same, but the father running yeah. to the son. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the idea that God loves you more than you love him. That yeah. he wants you more than you want him. That he wants to give you more than you're ever going to ask him for. It's this understanding. Um, and actually, I can only think about it in terms of your own children or even your grandchildren or other people, if you've got parents or whatever it is. You love your children before they even know what love is. You love them, and you, when you get handed them, usually, I'm not, I'm not saying it happens instantly, but you love them when you have this child. You love this child, even before it can, he knows what the word love is. 
Yeah. You're, you're doing for this child before they ever understand what it is you're doing. And even when they never thank you for what you're doing, you love them anyway. Yeah. You do it anyway. It's the same for your grandchildren. You love your grandchildren no matter what. You're just, it's, it's this love of God for his children, even though his children don't understand it, who never reciprocate it, who don't even know, or are not even aware of it's going on. God is actively at work towards you. You, Juliet. Yes. When you're thinking he's not doing anything, when your response is, Lord, I'm, I want, I'm doing, I'm doing, or I want to give you everything, I want to live for your glory. You're thinking he's not doing anything, but he's the one who's giving you that desire. He's the one who's feeding that passion in you, that hunger for more of him. That's where he wants you. He wants you to have this hunger and this thirst for him that will never go. Because he, he's through your heart, through a person like you, he's going to do great and mighty things. Not necessarily what we might think of as great and mighty. And it's that idea that there's nothing you want that God isn't already wanting to give you. You want the Holy Spirit? Oh my goodness, he wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You want to work, move in your gifts and, and, and live a life that honors him? Oh, that's exactly and more what he wants you to do. He's going to do those things before you even ask. He's yeah. already. He's preparing you by, by putting the idea in your head. Yeah. Lord, I want to love you more. So I, I can't tell you how many times I write that in my chamber. I want to love you more. And yeah, you just think, oh, you know that already. <laughs> and you're giving me that desire. You're giving me that desire. And you will fill me with the Holy Spirit who will enable me to yeah. do that. It's just an amazing thing. And that understanding is crucial to the Christian life. Because otherwise, we are constantly trying to earn favour, trying to be good, trying to do the right thing, trying to go the right way, and we are not trusting that he has gone before us. He has gone before us. He's doing what I always wanted to do for my kids, walk the road ahead and brush away all the troubles. Only he's, what he calls troubles and what I call troubles are totally different. Yes. He wants to brush away all the things that will take you from him and leave the things there that will bring you closer. And he's gone before me. He's the road I walk. He's ahead of me. He's behind me. He's beside me. He's inside me. He's everywhere on this highway. Yeah. And it's just such a wonderful, wonderful picture. Um, Jesus has already said, prayer is at the heart of this relationship. If you don't pray, if you don't pray, you will never understand the relationship because prayer is simply you coming to the Lord based on who he is. That's all it is. It's a conversation. It's your side of the conversation. The more you come to him, the more you understand who he is. The more you understand who he is, the more he pours his Holy Spirit into you and the more you want to come to him. And so it goes on like this this snowball that's getting bigger and bigger and he eventually becomes a snowman. It's just this... this growth in your Christian life. It's wonderful. I mean, I could cry all morning, actually. Yeah. I could be crying because it's just so wonderful yeah. that he, yeah. who's called us into this, yeah. loves this much. It's beyond. Yeah, and the, the, the fighting of the thoughts that you don't deserve it have mm. to go along with the fact that, yeah, I don't deserve this. Yeah. Mm. So the, the idea that because I don't deserve it, it's not going to happen has to be fought. Tooth and nail. 
No, you don't deserve it. Not one jot, nothing. If you, if you lived a perfect life from now until the day you died, you would not deserve what God is doing and has done and will do for you. But you have to fight the idea that he won't do it because of that. If ever I could think those things, and I think, but actually, that's what grace is all about. Exactly. That's what the cross is all exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. Accept that I don't yeah. deserve any of this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but that grace well, there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the question is: Have we grasped this relationship? As Maureen said, this is crucial. If this relationship and our place in it is crucial, have we grasped it? Do we understand this? And so that's actually where our efforts need to be. If we're, if we're thinking about putting any effort in, put it into the understanding of my my absolute dependence on God, my Father. But the, also the understanding that that's where he wants me to be. Absolutely, 100% dependent upon him. Um, you know, and... If you have grasped the meaning, then your response to that will be to ask him to fill you more and more with his spirit. Because the more of his spirit you get, the more understanding you get, the more reality actually, the more you move into the reality of where you are with God. Highway to Hol- of Holiness, which I loved. I love when God gave me that. I just love mm-hmm. that. I'm mm-hmm. doing. The Highway of Holiness, that, that the road to spiritual transformation, the road to God, the is 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 just total dependence. Mm-hmm. He's the path. He's the road. Mm-hmm. He's the he's the goal. He's the starting point. He's he's everything. Total dependence, and that I am absolutely safe in Him on that road. Amen. Yeah. I'm safe. In him. No potholes. No potholes. Well, there might be an odd pothole, but <laughs> where the enemy's thrown a stone, but God has made it smooth. Somebody else read, please, uh, verse 14 to verse 32. Can I read this one? Yes, you can. <laughs> it's a long one. So. And he was part of. He was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Others, to test him, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I by Beelzebul cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armour on which he had relied and distributes his plunder. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, 
It passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and not finding any. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. And then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it, because they repented of the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Thank you. So I'll stop you there so that we can just get talk about those a little bit. So what's Jesus talking about in these several things he, he, he mentions, but what's, what's he actually talking about? Who, who, is, who is he saying all this to? Disciples. Yeah, and crowds. He's talking to the crowds. He's talking to the, the disciples and the crowds and the Pharisees, the one and Jews. Back in um, uh, verse 14, um, and he was casting out a demon, but some of them uh, he were saying this to the crowds, and then I think he's going to talk to a Pharisee somewhere along there, or maybe, maybe others, testing, others testing him. So he's talking to everybody. And what's his main point? Verse 23 gives you a clue. He who is not with me is against me. There's no middle ground. You're either with them or you're not. And the thing is, what he's talking about here is you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. So even the first example of the man who's had the demons cast out, He's had a demon cast out of his house, right? He says to me. They start it off by saying, because he was casting out a demon, and, and people were saying, he's casting it out there by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, and others are testing him, and he knew their thoughts. Any kingdom divided against itself, blah, blah, blah. So he knows they're prevaricating. They don't want to make a choice, and they're coming up with all these ideas of what it might be. So he, and then he's going to talk about um, this man who, when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it cannot find any. And it says, "I'll return to my house from which he came." And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. So he comes back with many more demons than were originally cast out. This is still um, promoting and amplifying the idea of choice. With choice comes commitment. With choice comes a decision. With choice comes uh, a lifestyle change that's going to happen. And it's all included in this, because what Jesus is saying is, this is who I say I am, make your choice. 
make your choice. And he's amplifying it and explaining it in all these different ways, but it's basically the same. Will you choose me or not? Yeah. Will you come to me or not? And and that's actually what he's saying to everyone. He's saying it to the whole all of the crowds, but he's also saying it to the disciples. And and really I think there's something for us to understand because he's saying you know, there's a commitment made in your choice. And we have lots of people in churches who are or who are not believers. Who knows? Only God knows their heart. But they have not fully committed to live for God. And the reason they haven't fully committed is that they don't fully understand the relationship that they have come into if they are a believer. Um, or they don't want that relationship. And here again, it's like whoever's for me, you know, is for whoever's not for me is against me. If you are not for Christ, you're against him. It's a, you know, it's quite a big statement actually, um, because the example he uses with the demons is, if if this man is forgiven, let's say the demon is is, is cast out of the house, right? If he's forgiven in that act, i.e. cleansed and forgiven, he is vulnerable. Because if he does not go on, he's going to find many more demons come in. Now this is a picture, this is a picture. But he's going to find many more difficulties come in than he originally had because he did not make his commitment to, to Jesus. He did not make his commitment to the Father. Now, I, I, you know, don't, I don't think he's talking about, I think he's using, because he's just cast out a demon, he's using that as an example of what to say, a deeper spiritual truth. If you have a problem and you come to Jesus, let's, I don't know what it might be, but let's say you had a problem in your life and it brought you to Jesus and you, you said, Lord, I believe in you, I, I trust you, please help me. And God did. He trusted you and he cast out that demon or he cast out that thing or he fixed that problem for you. If you say, thanks very much, I'm off, your troubles are going to multiply. Because now, not only have you known the way of truth, but you've refused it. And, And God, so forget whether you're saved or not, just forget that for a moment. How would a loving father or a loving God let you walk away from him without any problem? How how could he do that? He would never do that. He would do everything necessary to pull you back, to pull you back. You know, this is what Jesus is saying. Make a commitment. Maybe. That's what he's saying to us, and that's what he's saying to the crowds. And the reality is, with the crowds, they said no. They said no. Very few people said yes to Jesus while he was alive. I'm mm-hmm. still saying yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how do we go about then filling our life with Jesus? I mean, we've come to that place. He's, he's forgiven us, cleansed us. Imagine you're the house, cast out any demons that were there. Okay, so here I am, Lord. What do I do now? What do you do? Read the word, pray. Yeah, he says actually, look. He says here in, um, <coughs> uh, <coughs> between verse 20, so how do you, you know, well, let me find the verse. 
Blessed, yeah, here he is. But Jesus, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd, verse 27, said, uh, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. What does it mean by observe? Do, do follow, do it, follow. What has he just been telling them about when he was telling them about prayer and telling them about how God is longing to answer prayer and how much more he'll give the Holy Spirit? What is your response to hearing all of this and being faced with a choice? Lord, you've cleansed my house, now fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit so there's no room for anything else. Fill me with yourself so that I can live with you. Um, and, and it finishes with, with judgment, actually, this little section, because he's saying about Jonah and about the Queen of the South who uh, came to Solomon and the men of Nineveh. It's all about judgment. And now this is about those crowds who are going to say no to him, who are saying no to him. This saying no to Jesus has a consequence. Mm-hmm. It will have a consequence in a believer's life in that you will not have peace, and it will have a consequence in unbelievers life because one day they will have to face the judgment that Jesus took on himself yes. for yes. us. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. uh, and, and it's a great sin to refuse for Jesus. Um, and he's quoting Jonah going to Nineveh. Nineveh was the you know, the enemy of Israel, that they repented when they heard Jonah's message. The queen of the south, a queen, a mighty queen, came to Solomon because she'd heard about the wisdom that he had. Um, they didn't hesitate. They came. And, and so, you know, the question is about us, really. You know, are we hesitating? To, to just ask the Lord to fill us up so that we are totally and utterly under his control. And, and we are, but so that we understand more about yeah. that. <coughs> um, <coughs> you know, discipleship is not a try-harder sort of life. It's, it's a growing in your understanding of your relationship with, with God. That's what discipleship is. Because the more you understand your relationship with God, the more you can help me understand mine. The more you can show me that I need that relationship. The more you are living in that dependence on the Father, the more I see that in you and I'm changed by it. You fulfill your mission, your purpose, your everything by understanding and becoming closer to God the Father. I don't mean closer in reality because you're already there, but I mean closer in experience. Um, that's what we thought when we looked at those videos of the Iranian church. That's what stirs you. They're close to God. They are so close to God. And, and they want to be there. They don't want to be anywhere else. And what stirs us about that is that it creates a challenge in us. You know, not that we want their life, but nobody's saying we would want their life. But I want what they have. I want that relationship with 
Jesus, they say, or with God the Father, that that takes me beyond any other thought of anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I find you, know, I come to these mornings and I get really inspired and really fired up and really sort of oh, they go home and then in a day or two, they just get swept up with stuff and doing things yeah. and lists and yeah. it just gets sucked into it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Pray your morning sort of oh, help me instead. And also in you go. Really hard. But part of that, so part of that is where the Lord wants you. See sometimes we think but we yeah. get that stirring up and we think, well yeah just Go, go, I want to do, I want to be close to you, I want this, I want that. And then, as you say, you wake up the next morning or you do whatever and you go out and you feel like you're being sucked up in the minutiae of life. Kind of, and, and we're looking at that thinking that's not important. But that might be where God has put you. But that might be just where God has put you. Because when your hip hurts, you have to go and see a physio or a doctor. And there you talk about the Lord. And then you have to go somewhere else, you have to do something else. Sometimes the things mm. that we think of as the distractions of mm. love yes. are the very things yeah. that God has put us into. Yes. 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 So I think that this understanding of children, like I've said the story before, it's not a story, it's reality. My dad was quite a tall man, and strong, big hands. And when I used to walk along the street with him, I held his hand, he used to grab my hand, and I'd have to run to keep up. And I never knew where we were going. I mean, vaguely I might have known, but I didn't know the, how we were going to get there. And I walked with him. And he, he turned the corner, or he went straight, or he did this. And we went wherever he wanted to go. That's God. He's taking you where he wants you to be. And your commitment to him is all that he wants. And you have done that. And, and he now is using that in all the stuff of your life that you don't want or you think is a distraction. He's using. It's, I know, you see, I know. That's how I feel. I know. You can't believe that it is. But yours is a life given to the Lord and he's going to use it. You know, those Iranian women particularly, they really struck me when they said, when I meet a person, I ask the Lord, what part of my story do you want me to share with this person? I mean, they are terrible stories, much more terrible than mine. Mine isn't terrible. But this idea of what part of my life, what part of my walk with the Lord, what part of any of it do you want me to share with this person? That's where I want to live. I want to live in that conscious knowledge. Everybody I meet, what part of my story, my story do you want me to share? Mm-hmm. Oh, just a tiny little thing. Um, I was out delivering leaflets for the, you know, church, um, all the stuff that was going on. And I thought, oh, I'll just go along here and I'll do some. I do know something there. And um, we, were, we were doing carols and they were going to say a bit of work, you know, a word. And this one lady that I knew, she, she was there. And uh, I went out and I said, do you normally come in here on that? Sunday night. Oh no no, she said, but I had a leaflet thrown. And she brought seven people. (laughs) And that's like what you're saying, just doing something simple. I even think thank you, yeah, that's exactly it. I think sometimes, you know, the conversations you have with you know, the difficult conversations maybe with your family or 
or you just think, oh my God, you know, what did I do there? What did I say? How did I, you know? Mm -hmm. But again, he's the one in charge. Yeah. Yeah. I've said, give me the words. I've said, mm -hmm. you know, I'm yes. not consciously not speaking what he wants me mm -hmm. to say. So therefore, there has to be some level of okay, yeah. I'm here, mm -hmm. I don't know what to do, but you do. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Like your conversations on yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, I, I was thinking, I've got here a, a Proverbs 23rd, 23, if you correctly understand your relationship with God the Father as being a child, a, a much-loved, beloved child, that's how you will be when you are out in the world, when you are doing all the stuff of life that you think is not important. That's how you'll be. Sorry, 23-7. 7A, yeah, just the first part. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. What did you say? Uh, mine says, um, well, he is like one who is inwardly calculating. It's complete. What are you reading? What's uh, the translation? ESV. Oh. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> ESV is a relatively new translation, yeah. but it's massive amounts of commentary in it. So if you go back to, if you have a Greek, you probably don't have a Greek. Translation, um, sorry, a Hebrew, a Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. I'll bring one in and we can have a look at it. We'll look at that verse. What do the actual words mean? Um, yeah. This is tied up in, look, it starts with, do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. <coughs> For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. So what, he, what he's saying is, this man's a hypocrite. He's trying to draw you into his trouble. But the truth within that is, for as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Yeah. So as you think within yourself, he's a hypocrite. He's trying to get you in, but you're not a hypocrite. So as you think within yourself, that's how you'll be. So God's command to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is where you think, that's the understanding. Put the truth into your mind. I am your child. You are my loving Heavenly Father. I want to live for you. I don't know how to do it, but you do. I'm just going to hold your hand and walk yeah. with you. And I'm going to trust that I'll mess up all the time. But nonetheless, you will turn this muck into something glorious. You know. Amen. 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 Fill your mind yeah. with verses Absolutely. that actually feed your thinking on yeah. that situation. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the um, Strong's Concordance, it says the word is shah, S-H-A-A-R, and it's to act as a gatekeeper. Yeah. Which word? The word to think. Yeah. Well, it's that idea. Mm -hmm. You need to what you put in your mind as you yeah. think is how you are. So um. if you think as a gatekeeper, i.e., if I know that the way I think affects what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say, how yeah. I'm going to feel, I want to make sure that what I'm thinking 
comes through the gate of Christ, if you like, or comes yeah. through the gate. Yeah. It has to actually take an entrance into my mind. Yeah. I'm not just going to let any old thought come in. You know, I've been watching, I told you, I've been watching this um, uh, West Wing series, and I, you know, I, I binge watch when I've got the time. I watch, you know, I don't want to tell you how many I watch at once, but anyway, I watch you know, two or three. And, um, and the other night, I, I couldn't sleep, and in my mind was all the story that's going on in my screen, all the conversations, and I was replaying them all in my mind. I was I was on the top of sleep. I don't know if you know what I mean, but I wasn't quite asleep. And it was, and I thought, Lord, this can't be right. This can't be right. This is what's in my mind. So it was like, okay, that's got to go. That's got to go because I don't want to be that person. I want to be the person who wakes up and thinks about Jesus. So. Again, it's like the thoughts, you have to be a gatekeeper to your own mind. So he's talking here, and he goes on to say that, actually, in uh, when he talks about the eye. Bye, Jackie. Enjoy the nativity. Bye. 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 See you next week. Maybe. How many Christmas if not? Okay. Yeah. Okay, so he's going to go on, look, he's, he's actually uh, talking about this whole idea. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar or under a basket, but on the lampstand, so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined. But when the lamp illumines you with, as when the lamp illumines you with a ray. I find this, this you know, for a long time this kind of amused me a bit, but I've done a bit of research on it. And the lamp in Jesus' day, unless you were wealthy, in the ordinary people's home, it was literally um, a bowl of oil with a tiny wick in it. And when you lit that wick, it wasn't a light to illuminate the room, it just, it just told you where the light was. Yeah. And as you went through the door towards the light, gradually your eyes would be illumined. You could open your eyes a bit more and see furniture so you didn't trip over it. But it wasn't that it was such a bright light. So it was that that light illumined the room, rather than the light being um, massive and brilliant. And that's what he's saying here, I think, that um, you need to um, put the light in a room so that people walk towards the light, because as they walk towards the light, they will start to see what's around them in the right way. And that's what we're to be. We're to be the light in the room so that people walk towards the light and that illumines their life. And for you too, we walk towards the light so that our life is illumined, is brought into perspective. Um, uh, he's talking about the eye being the same sort of thing as the light. So the eye is the focal point, isn't it? It's where you see everything. So... Um, your perception of everything around you depends on what you see and how you see it. Um, how do you find your way through life then? Think about that. How will you find your way through life? I mean, what does Christ give you? Jesus is like yeah. the light of the world. You're following Jesus' light. But he opens your eyes mm -hmm. so that yeah. you can see. Yeah. 
otherwise you were blindness. You were blind and you were walking in darkness. Yeah. Now he's opened your eyes. So because Christ has opened your eyes, it's like the light has been switched yeah. on and now yeah. you can see things around you properly. Um, and now when you know that when you see things around you properly, what will you do? What what will you do better than you did before? Avoid pitfalls. Yes. You won't keep bumping into the furniture. That's the thing. The people who were walking in darkness have seen so, yeah. so it's this idea that when your eyes are open and clear, you see the reality of yeah. the things around you. And you don't get taken by surprise. You don't suddenly come upon a massive blockage or a pothole. You've seen it in advance. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> uh, yeah, okay. So Jesus' warning then in verse 35 is watch out that what you think is light is, is not really darkness. Be careful that what you're focusing on is really the light mm -hmm. rather than the darkness. Mm -hmm. Why is he saying that to these people? Because they get distracted. But yeah, what are they being distracted about though? Maybe, but the people mm -hmm. that are following him, why are they following him? Because he's doing miracles. He's doing miracles. He's trying to say to them, don't be distracted by the miracle. Don't think the miracle is the light. The miracle points to me who is the light. So they're following because they want the miracle. And many people are going would flock towards a church where was doing miracles and people yeah. were being yeah. healed. Because they want the healing, they want yeah. the miracle, they want yeah. it's not necessarily that that's wrong because that's a way of bringing them in, but they cannot mistake the healing and the miracle for Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Because Jesus is God whether he heals or not. Yeah. He's, he's God whether he does a miracle or not. Yeah. This is the thing that we have to Yeah. And that's what I think he's saying. Be sure that the light in you is not darkness. Um, make sure that it's not an illusion that you're following and not a not the wrong thing. Um, okay, he's um, he's going to carry on now, and I think even though he goes into a slightly it looks like a different subject, he's going into a way of expanding what he said. So could somebody just read 37 to 44, and then we'll read 45 to 54. So just break it up. Two people read those two things. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisee saw it, he marvelled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, and indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you, you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues 
and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. Thank you. Okay, let's just stop there for a minute. So, how does this relate to what he's just said? I mean, actually, Linda said that there were some there who were keeping the law once she said something about the last So, how does that relate? So, if he's talking about make sure you're not following the wrong thing, make sure that the light in you is truly light and not darkness, make sure that you know, you're not under any illusions. So, and to the crowds, he's basically saying, you know, don't follow me for the miracles. That's what he said when they fed the 5,000. He said, they're just following me because they want food. Don't follow me for the miracles. Follow me for who I am. And now to the Pharisees, he's going to make this point. And how does he, how does he ex explain the same point to them? Well, just keeping the law that is, yeah. for them, the light, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's not. Exactly. They, for that's more important. Yeah. They've embellished their law, they've mm. added to the laws of the Old Testament, they've mm. brought in all sorts of other uh, requirements of the law. And the Pharisee says to Jesus, or well, his complaint is, he didn't wash his hands. Mm. He didn't wash his hands. Mm. And then he's not talking about cleanliness, he's talking about ritual washing of hands mm. that they had to do mm. in order to sit down and mm. eat. Because mm. the Pharisees had prescribed this as another regulation. Yes. So, can you see what he's doing? He's saying, mm. don't think that the rules and the regulations mm. and all the things that you've brought in are the thing. Yeah. Even mm. the law itself is not the thing. Mm. The, the law was there as a tutor to lead you to the Messiah, to yeah. Christ. Mm. And so the law itself is not the light. It's just a signpost to the light. Mm. And so um, he's talking to the Pharisees, he was talking to the crowds who wanted the healings and the, and the provision. He's talking to the Pharisees. Don't, don't think that your law is it. Whether it be the Mosaic law or the added embellishments, it's, it's not it. It's just pointing the way to me. And, but they didn't want him. Yeah. They didn't want him. Um, and he uses these, the cleansing of the cup and the tithing and the um, they were so concerned with the externals of their religion yeah. Yeah. That, they, that they could not see the reality. And that's because they were blind. And yeah. they, were, they were following darkness. The light in them was darkness. Mm -hmm. um, it's like churches, really. Isn't it? Some of them, yeah. Some of them, mm -hmm. definitely. Who are caught all up in the ritual. rituals. And, yeah, not all of them. I think that there are many people who even within those places, are not caught up in that. But I think mm. it is a warning for us not yes. to be caught up in the rituals or in the darkness mm. of externals yeah. and to see that the reality is Christ. And all of this, I think, is, is amplifying and promoting this understanding of children. Come to the Lord God as his child. Yeah. Uh, children are not bothered with externals. Mm. They're not. Yeah. They're bothered about the basics. Are they loved? Are they secure? Mm, yeah. Are they safe? Mm. You know, have they got food to eat? Mm. Are they warm? Yeah. You know, it's, it's the it's the fundamental building blocks, and and that's mm. what Jesus is saying. I think mm. you know, constantly reinforcing. Um, so, 
the last verses then, 45 to 52, or 54 actually. Does someone read those verses, please? One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since <coughs> the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you've hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. Thank you. Yeah, and, uh, so um, th this, this last section is prompted by the statement, um, uh, where are we? Um, woe to you, to the Pharisees, for you are like concealed tombs and the people who walk over them are unaware of it. Mm. What's the problem with a concealed tomb? You don't know it's there. You don't know it's there, and you're likely to fall into it. Mm. You're likely to go into it without realizing yeah. it's a tomb. It's a place yeah. of the dead. Yeah. And this is what he's talking about. You know, if, if, if people follow you, and you are walking around as a dead man in a tomb, then you're leading people to death, and that's the problem. So make sure that you are going the right way. He's saying this to the Pharisees, to the people who are relying on their rules and regulations, their, tra their traditions. Even the, even the Mosaic law, I have to say this, those who are relying <coughs> even on the Mosaic law, which in and of itself was holy and righteous and good, but if they're relying on that to take them, to save them, when Jesus is standing right in front of them, he, it, it's not going to save them. It's a tutor, it's a, a signpost to lead them to Christ. And actually the word tutor, when Paul talks about that in Galatians, that the law, although it was holy, righteous and good, was a tutor to lead you to Christ. The word tutor means guardian. It was your guardian before Christ came. It was the guardian before Jesus came. Mm -hmm. But now when, you, when Christ is here, you don't need the guardian. That's what that's what Paul's saying in Galatians. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, these regulations and rules—they're just hidden tombs, and you are uh, people are falling into them. Um, so he goes on and he pronounces these woes on those people. Woe to you, Pharisee! Woe to you for you like a concealed tomb. One of the leaders said to him, "Teachers, when you say this, you insult us too." The um, lawyer is a scribe. So, um, <coughs> Uh, and he says, woe to you lawyers as well, for you weight men down the burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Mm -hmm. So it's, we're expecting, they're expecting people to do these things even though they're not going to do them. Um, 
what is the way that God has always intended for his people? you remember Micah? You know that verse, that verse in Micah? Oh, what does the Lord expect of you? Yeah. Yeah. Do justice, love yeah. kindness, and walk humbly with your God. God. Yeah. Walk humbly with your God. Yeah. You know, that's out of the Old Testament. And God is not speaking to Israel as his children. He's not. He's talking to Israel as his people, as the, the wife of God. So you don't find many references in the Old Testament to the Jews being children of God. You find many, many, many of them being people of God. Now when you come to Christ, a Christian <coughs> is a child of God. It's a slightly different relationship. And so I'm not saying better or worse, I'm just saying it's a different relationship. We respond to God in a different way. The Jews had a set of regulations and then they had a set of ceremonial sacrifices <coughs> that they could do when they couldn't make the regulation. And the whole idea was to show them, you can't live by this law, so, so I'm going to make the sacrifice for you. But when Christ comes, the sacrifice is once for all. So now, we who've believed, we come into Christ Jesus, and he is a son of God, therefore we are sons of God. So, you know... But, but the requirement is still the same, that we walk humbly with God. <coughs> that we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. How can you do that? How could they do that in the Old Testament? How can you walk humbly with God? How can you walk humbly with God? You surrender to him. You say, you're God and I'm not. That's what walking humbly with him is. You, you say, you're the father, you're the grown adult, I'm the child. Poor God, I'm not. It's, it's all of these things. It's about spirituality. True spirituality is a matter of the heart condition. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he's been talking about. <coughs> and what he's saying is that the blood of all the prophets who talked about the same thing is going to be account they're going to have to account for that. Mm -hmm. Because not only did they are they going to have their fathers kill the prophets, but they're going to kill Christ himself. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's a remarkable bit of scripture really, because if I invited somebody to dinner I'd have kicked them out by verse yes. thirty nine. It's so really insulting. Yeah. It makes me think does Christ take more account of people that are in positions of religious authority. He has been more so. accountable because he never spoke to the common people no. like that, ever. No. He was no. gentle no. and kind. Mm -hmm. yeah. He told them the truth in love, but this yeah. was not. It was yeah. very harsh. Very. It's like it's where James gets yeah. this verse. Um, yeah. Let none of you, not Teach, let not yeah. many of you long to want to be teachers, yes. uh, yeah. for theirs is a stricter judgment. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you are publicly sharing something, either you know as a minister or a teacher, or you mm -hmm. are held more accountable. What it would be like in a false teacher, mm -hmm. because you are leading other people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, down the road. Yeah. I'm trying to find a verse for that. It's James. Um, you can't find it, but anyway, it's in James somewhere. Um, mm. Mm. Um, I'll find it later. So, um, yeah, three, chapter one. 
So the things to remember, I think, about the Pharisees is, and which is made really clear to us in uh, verse 53, when he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. I used to think, because Jesus talks a lot about hypocrisy, especially in the Sermon on the Mount recorded by Matthew, he, talks, he consistently says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And I used to think a hypocrite, and it is in some ways, someone who puts on a mask and pretends, you know, who, who pretends. But the Pharisees are not pretending. No. That's the thing. They're not pretending. They really think that no. their way is the right way. No. And so, um, because they're mistaking the external, outward stuff, rituals, with the reality. Mm -hmm. That's why he's built it up by saying, make sure that the light in you is really light and not darkness. Mm -hmm. So these, I think some of the Pharisees knew that what they were doing wasn't right, but I think a lot of them didn't. They truly believed that yeah. these things would save them. Yeah. And the reason they believed it was because they were unwilling to surrender and to submit, and to humble themselves before God. What about the Jewish people now who are Orthodox Jews? Mm. Is this the same with them? Same, same sort of thing. Rituals. Same yeah. sort of thing. They're trusting or believing that those things will, because they won't believe, they won't accept that Jesus is the Messiah. And it's not can't, it's won't. Because, I mean, imagine you're an Orthodox Jew, imagine how difficult it might be for you now to accept that that you rejected Christ mm -hmm. and two, all that that entails. It's two, over 2,000 years afterwards and they still waiting for the Yeah. Because they're still waiting for Messiah. Mm -hmm. Because the Messiah they expected didn't look like Jesus. Orthodox so, Jewry is like a cult though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Orthodox Jewry is, is like a cult. Yeah. Yeah. Very much, very closed. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of abuse within it. Yeah. There's all sorts of things going yeah. on there. Yeah. 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 Someone was telling the other day, mm -hmm. you know, it's uh, that man Skip 24. Oh, yes, Hillary was when she, our friend who uh, went to Israel um, a few months ago, and um, and uh, apparently they, when they're reading Isaiah, they don't read chapter 53. No. No. And she didn't oh, know that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. They'll read either side, but not the chapter 53. Yeah. 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 The thing is, I just, let's just finish with this, because the thing is, okay, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to think about yourself as a child. When you're a fully grown adult, you, you're used to taking responsibility. You were brought up with God helps those who help help themselves. You you know you were brought up with all sorts of deception actually that we're supposed to be strong and immature and you know self sufficient. And actually, the Bible's saying no, you're not. You're supposed to be completely the other way. You're supposed to understand your insufficiency. It's difficult, and it was difficult for these Pharisees and scribes, mm -hmm. and it is difficult for people who are believers, <coughs> whether they're truly believers or not, it's not the, not the issue, but who think about themselves as believers, 
who are following the wrong way. It's yeah. difficult because yeah. the light in them is darkness. Yeah. So now, for us, instead of standing and saying, you know, like, for example, the School of the Supernatural, Bill Johnson's Bethel Church, let's just take that. There's a lot in that stuff that I know is completely and utterly unscriptural. I know that it's wrong. Yeah. I have to find a way to talk to the people who love that and who are flocking to these schools, which are now in the UK as well, not just yeah. in, in, the, in the US, I need to find a way to lovingly share the truth, rather than to say, you know, this is just complete nonsense, you're wrong, blah, 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 blah. Because the reality is they're following an illusion and not the truth. They're following something that isn't real, and that will end in the wrong place. It will either end in judgment, because they're not truly saved, or it will end with them regressing and shrinking back from Christ when they see him, because they've spent a life and future doing nothing. I think it's good. I know, don't worry. It's hard to get out quietly. But when we have our big room, we're more space. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you so much. See you next week. Thank you so much. 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 Walking across hidden tombs, yeah. not realizing yeah. it, mm. or they have mistaken the light for something else. Yeah. Mm. And so, whichever way you look at it, they need help. No, I don't think so, Julia. Mm. You are in a very unique position, and actually, mm. I think I was in a very unique position. When you came to the Lord, you were put with people who love the Word of God. Yes. Now, that was God's work. I mean, and, and so there are millions of people mm. who don't have that. I don't know why he's done that in you. I'm waiting to see what will happen. We're <laughs> Because that doesn't happen to everybody. And so, you know, the reality is we need to help make that happen to everybody. We need to align ourselves with the work of God in that and decide discipleship or this understanding of the relationship we have with God the Father and how that plays itself out is the work of our life. Make disciples, Jesus said. You can't make a child of God. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit can make a child of God. But you can help people to understand their relationship and therefore make a disciple. So now this is making me look at the stories of Jesus, you know, when the people brought children to him and everyone said, no, go away. Unless you...
So, Father, I thank you for um, Luke's gospel. I thank you for the way that Luke is opening this up. And I thank you for the understanding that you're giving us. And I pray, Lord, that anything that we might have said, I might have said, that's not quite right, that you will bring to our minds so that we can rectify it, Lord, or so that we can explain it uh, in the way we meant it. I pray that you would forgive, forgive, Lord, all the inadequacies of me and the way I speak and how I come across, I pray, Lord, well, I really pray, Lord, that you would just take over with your spirit and really make all of this real in our lives, Lord. Make it real in a way that only you can, so that we don't allow the light in us to be darkness and we don't follow anything but you. So thank you, Lord, that um, we can rely on you to answer that prayer. Thank you that you will. That you long to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And I do pray, Lord, as we go on and as we think as a ministry about extending and going in, into the next building and all that that might mean, I pray, Lord, that you would stir up the, uh, the flame in us, Father, and, yes. and enable us to be aware of the way that you are ready to work with us and in us yes. to, uh, to be a part of what you're doing here in Sarah and Sister and, and to do our part in this mighty work that you are accomplishing. So I thank you, Father, for everything. I yeah, thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Lord, I want to thank you for, for putting Anne on Anne's heart this, this passion for your word that she shares with us. And I pray that Lord, we, that the seeds that she sows every week in us will not just be swept away or choked by the cares of the birds eat it, but Lord, we really do take it on board. I just pray that we can, uh, today's lesson really help us to to ponder it, to reflect on it, to really acknowledge our own need to humble ourselves and become as children to you. Yes. Lord, by your spirit, we just um, work, continue to keep our eyes open, focused on you, and work in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.